so thankful for your blessings, Lord. You have blessed us beyond our wildest imagination. I pray that you'd bless us with eyes to see it. We worship you, King Jesus. This is your day. We come to praise you, glorify you, magnify you, not as one who is small that needs to be made bigger. It's not a microscope. We magnify you as one who may have seemed distant, but we draw closer and see you as you really are. King of kings and Lord of lords, we glorify your great and glorious name, the name of Jesus. It's in that name we pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Passion Week, first day of Passion Week. Amen. We call it Passion Week because Jesus is on his way to the cross. This is Palm Sunday, the day in which we celebrate the coming of Christ the King. And uh, this week is the week in which we see the steps toward the cross and we, we celebrate uh, that cross, that instrument of torture and death, but it's the instrument of our salvation. Amen. And it is through that cross that we know that we know that we know that we have eternal life, that we know that we have a relationship with, with God the Father is through Jesus Christ. Amen. So happy Palm Sunday. Glorify the Lord today in your day. So I want us to turn in the book of John to chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 13. On this day, why do we call it Palm Sunday? If this is all new to you, let me help you understand that it is on this day about 2,000 years ago that Jesus, the rabbi teacher from Galilee, the one who they called the prophet, they called him all sorts of names, that Jesus is heading over the Mount of Olives down into the Kidron Valley and up into the city of Jerusalem. It happens to correspond with a day in which, as they, the nation of Israel celebrate Passover, the day that the, and the, the lambs were chosen uh, and brought into the household of the family. It happens to be on the exact same day. And, and why is that important? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. And so there's a whole lot of uh, things tied into that, but, but we, we'll, we'll cover that another day. Today, let's talk about Christ the King. Amen. John chapter 12, verse 12. We'll start verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Everybody say, the King of Israel. Amen. Amen. Jesus. Then Jesus, whom, uh, Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, said on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. There's uh, symbolism to this, and we won't, we won't get bogged down in some of the details, but, but I want you to recognize that as this trek down the, the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, back up into the city of Jerusalem, many kings have made that little trek right there. He's not the first one. Including King David, twice. Once when he was first made king, and the second time when Absalom tried to steal the kingdom from him, he, he comes back the same little, same little trail. But this is a different kind of king. Amen? 
He's a different kind of king. We need to go back to the first king and uh, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed through the first books of the Bible and get you to 1 Samuel chapter 8. So in the book of Genesis chapter 12, God chose a man named Abraham, drew him out of, of the Ur of the Chaldees, a country far, far to the east. He said, I'm going to put you in a new land and I'm going to make you a new nation. I'm going to give you a giant family. Well, that's uh, kind of hard to believe for Abraham because he's an old man by this time and his wife isn't able to have children. Uh, and yet God does the miraculous. And then as an old lady, she has her first child and, uh, and, and Isaac is born and this nation begins. Now, the nation is named after Abraham's grandson, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had another, God gave him another name and he named him Israel. Israel. And so we have this nation of Israel and in their infancy, they were pretty vulnerable. They were in a, in a, in a foreign land with a lot of hostiles around them. And so, uh, through, uh, through an act that we kind of misunderstand sometime, God put them in an incubator named Egypt. And in this incubator named Egypt, this little tiny baby nation starts growing up and they became so big, the nation of Egypt begins to be threatened by them and, and starts to uh, put harsh punishment on them, making them slaves. Well, we have, that was Genesis, all right? I know that's, we got a long way to go, but that's, that was Genesis. The book of Exodus, we see that God brings that nation out of Egypt. And as they went into Egypt as shepherds, they came out as soldiers. Amen. They came out as soldiers. Now they're a mighty nation and, and they begin the trek to the promised land, the land that God promised Abraham uh, 400 years before they're about to experience it. They have 40 years of, of, of doubt and unbelief, and they wandered in the wilderness. But in the book of Joshua, so we have Genesis and Exodus. We missed a few chapters. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just know they're wandering in the wilderness in this time. Uh, now we have the book of Joshua. Joshua is when they begin to walk back into the land that Abraham and his young family started in. The promised land. They go back into that land, and they begin seeing victory after victory after victory after victory. Amen? And as they take, they take the land that God had given them, this promised land, God had given them, back in the book of Deuteronomy, a command. He says, now, when I bless you with houses you didn't build, and I give you groves you didn't plant, and crops you didn't plant, and you're blessed beyond measure, and, and you see my fruitfulness being poured out on you, when I prosper you, don't you forget me. Don't forget me. And however, even though he warned them, guess what they did? They forgot him. So after Joshua's the book of Judges, in the book of Judges you see this, this cycle over and over and over again. And, uh, the nation of Israel would turn away from God and, and some of the surrounding nations would come in and harass and oppress them. And, and then he would send them a judge. Judges like Samson, judges like Gideon, judges like Deborah. And so we would see these who would come in, bring the nation of Israel back into focus with God in which they would repent of their sins and turn back to God. God would bless them again. And they'd turn away again. He would send them a judge. They would repent. God would bless them. And they'd turn away again. You see this continual cycle. Here's what it says in the book of Judges. And there was no king in Israel in those days. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so here's the issue. It's not that they didn't have a law. They had a law. They didn't have a king. 
When there's no authority to hand down the law, everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Here's what it says in Proverbs. You might, you might know this verse as without a vision, the people perish. There's a real good translation of that is without revelation, the people cast off restraint. When there's not someone saying, here is the word of the Lord, people do whatever they want to do. And the world goes to hell in a handbasket. And that's the book of Judges. And then we get to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now it came to pass, verse 1, now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you're old. Everybody been told that? It's starting to happen. <laughs> it's a, you got a little gray in your beard. Shut up. Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Well, that's the problem. They had a king. His name was Almighty God. And he wanted to judge over this nation. He wanted them, he, they, they were to reign as a glorious people with a mighty God. And yet they rejected their king. And they said, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be like everybody else. We want to, we want to do what those around us are doing. And it broke Samuel's heart. And so, uh, verse 6, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So here's the thing. They said, This is what we want. God says, Give them what they want, but they're not going to want what they get. And so we see Samuel, as he begins laying out, this is what the kings do. Verse 10, so Samuel told the words of the Lord to the people who asked for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king. He will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots. Verse 13, he will take your daughters. Verse 14, and he will take the best of your fields. Verse 15, he will take a tenth of your grain. Verse 16, he will take your male servants. Verse 17, he will take a tenth of your sheep. He's going to want to take, 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 take. That's what kings do. He said that you're not going to want a king. They said, we want a king. God says, give them what they want. They've rejected me. They don't want me to be their king. Let them find out how kings work. They said, we want a king. You don't want a king. Oh, we want a king. He's going to take your daughter. We don't care. He's going to steal your son. Let him have him. We want a king. And it happens exactly as God warned them. They lost their daughters. They lost their sons. They lost their possessions. They lost their prosperity. They lost everything. Because this, was, this is what kings did. They took. They stole. They had authority. Authority corrupts and absolute authority absolutely corrupts. And so he said, this is what kings do. They said, we want one. And they experienced exactly what God said over and over and over again. They had all their, their things, their, their, their children, they were all taken from them. So they didn't like kings after all. <laughs> things weren't going well, but here's the thing. Our king is a different kind of king. Amen. This king that we're celebrating today, that, that he made that same trek coming down that, on that little donkey colt, 
coming down that hill and they, they start waving palm branches at him. What are they doing? This is a symbolic act saying he's our king. They start taking their coats off, laying it just like rolling out the red carpet. And they're saying, he's our king. We've been looking for a king. We're sick of the Romans. We're tired of the oppression of these people. We want somebody to raise up an army and fight for us. Well, he's a different kind of king. I want you to look with me in John, in the book of John. See, Samuel warned the people, kings take. But here's what King Jesus does. He gives. He gives over and over and over again. We see him giving. If you turn with me to John chapter 10, verse 15. And as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What is he saying? He said, I give myself. Jesus says, I give myself. I give my life, verse 28, and I give them eternal life that they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Amen? Jesus says, I give my life, and then I give you life. Not just life, but eternal life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it more abundant. Life to the fullest. I love living life to the fullest. Amen? I want to get every bit out of it. I want to, I want to power slide into heaven. Eek! And say, I done wore this body out. I'm ready for a new one. I done drove it like a rental car, Lord. I, done, I get the abundant life. I want to live the abundant life. And so we see Jesus is a given king, not a taken king. He gives a new commandment. Chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. The old king had commandments. The old king had law. And by George, you better abide by it. Because the king's punishment was harsh. Jesus comes, he says, I give you a new law. Love everybody around you. Love them. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How do we love? The way Jesus loved. How did Jesus love? He gave himself. He gave himself. And he says, I want you to give yourself. Verse 35, by this all, the, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen. In chapter 14, verse 27, here's something else this king gives. Peace I live with, leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. How does the world give peace? The world's definition of peace is a lack of chaos, a lack of conflict. If there's no fighting, that's peace. Here's what I know about my God. In the midst of fighting, he gives me peace. In the midst of chaos, he gives me peace. His peace is more powerful than their chaos. His peace is greater than their conflict. He says, I give you that kind of peace. Peace that passes understanding. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why? Because I give you my peace. He's a giving king. Amen. I prefer this king. I prefer this kind of king. I, I, I love King Jesus. Amen. Well, there's some other things he gives. He gives his life for us, that he might give life to us. And we recognize that that's called salvation. Uh, God the Father gave Jesus that we might have life. For we, you know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. Do you know that giving is the expression of love? We had a, a, an offering time a little bit ago. 
And uh, Brother Robert shared about, you know, you can, you can give online, you can give with your phone, you can give in the blue boxes. Giving is the actual expression of love. God loved, so he gave. And when you love, you give. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, the gift of salvation he gives to us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says that we are saved by grace through faith. Not of works, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. God has given us the gift of salvation. He gave us the gift of Jesus. Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. It's just, this is a given king. This is not a taking king that takes my sons and daughters. This is a king that takes my son and makes him into a greater son and gives him back to me. Amen. And that's the kind of king I want to serve. We see this over and over and over. I'm just touching the surface on the gifts of my king. He's so good. We see him even submitting to government authorities who had really no authority. Let's turn with, back to the book of John, chapter 19, 18. John 18, verse 36. I want you to understand, I'm trying to explain to you, we've, we've covered a lot of scripture, we've covered a lot of time today in the scriptures. Uh, I, I talked about Israel's first king. Uh, they've had a lot of kings since then. It was, his name was King Saul and he was a, he was a, a crazy man. Uh, they've had a lot of crazy men since him. But now we, have, we fast forward to Jesus. Jesus comes in a time when the Roman government ruled over the nation of Israel. Well, Caesar can't be everywhere, so Caesar puts governors in different major cities. And so there's a governor in the major city of Jerusalem. His name is Pontius Pilate. Well, the Jews, they didn't like this Jesus because he, uh, he was stirring up too much trouble. People were, were getting uh, uh, out from under the oppression of the religious leaders, and so they didn't like him. And so they wanted to have him killed, but they could only do so much. And so... One night, the Jews bring, uh, bring in one of Jesus' disciples who betrays him, and you know him as Judas Iscariot. He, he, he goes into Jesus' place where he has quiet time all the time, the Mount of Olives, and, and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. They arrest Jesus, take him into captivity, they take him to the high priest's house, they beat him, they make him uh, a, a mockery of him. And then the next morning, they bring him here to Pontius Pilate. John chapter 18. Pontius Pilate, at verse 33, uh, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? We, we kind of cut to the chase here. Y'all with me? He says, are you the king? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered him, I, a Jew, your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, y'all catch this, my kingdom is not of this world. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm a different kind of king. I'm a different kind of king. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, you need to understand who Jesus comes in to this courtroom and he is bloodied and muddied. He has spent his night into a pit that I've actually been in. He, he spent his night in a, in a muddy cistern that has been turned into a prison cell. They beat him. They, they, they made a mockery of him. And here he stands before a governor of Rome. But you need to recognize, I don't care what he looks like, who he is, is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And we got a little pipsqueak governor, Pontius Pilate, acting like he's got some authority over Jesus, the Messiah. And he says, you a king? He said, who's asking? <laughs> who's asking? Uh, he says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. I, I, I underline that word now, by the way, because there's a coming day when his kingdom is complete and he does come back and is king over all the world. Amen. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of my heart. But he will be king over all this world. Verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus, y'all catch this. Jesus answered, you said rightly, I'm a king. You said rightly, I'm a king. For this cause I was born. Do y'all remember the wise men as they brought their gifts? The three gifts that they brought. What were these gifts? They were kingly gifts. They knew he was a king. They knew. He didn't look like a king then either. He was born in a stable, put in a feeding trough, and wrapped up in, in scraps of linen. But they knew the word of God. And the word of God said there would be a man who was born king, born king of the Jews. There's not people hardly ever born king. They, they're, they're born into a kingdom family, and then that is handed down to them later. He was born a king. And so he said, yes, I'm a king. Verse 34, 37, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Are you hearing his voice right now? Are you hearing him? Maybe you're not of his kingdom, but you just heard his voice. And his voice is calling you into the kingdom. And today you can be a part of his kingdom. Amen? Well, Pilate, he's a little puppet governor. And he has to just kind of do, you just try and keep the peace. And remember in their eyes, the, the peace is a lack of conflict. And so Pilate kind of puts this thing down. And, and what does he do? He, he, he has Jesus mocked, beaten, scourged. When we say scourged, you need to understand they have a, uh, it's called a cat of nine tails. It's a Roman whip with these long uh, leather straps. And in the straps are pieces of metal and glass. And they're meant to shred your flesh. And so Pilate says, if I make a bloody mess out of him, maybe the Jews will be satisfied and, and I won't have to have him put to death. And so he makes this mess out of him and then they make this mockery in chapter 19, verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns. Let's stop there for a second. A crown is for who? Kings. But they're making a mockery of him and so they make a crown of thorns. Now, there's a lot of symbolism here. There's a lot of significance here. And we're just kind of cutting through a lot of it. But recognize, when did we first see thorns? We first see thorns in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned and the earth was accursed. And with the curse sprang out of the ground, thorns. And even though they didn't know what they were doing, Jesus knew what they, they were doing. He says, I'll take those thorns. I'll take that curse upon myself. So that my people don't have to deal with it. 
so that my people don't have to live under the curse. So he took the curse upon himself. And so they twisted this crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And uh, they put, verse 2, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Well, why did you have him beat to a bloody pulp if you find no fault in him? It's because you're a weak little pipsqueak that is just trying to keep from losing your own neck to the Romans. And so you take an innocent man and you beat him half to death and then you make a mockery of him. But he was hoping to satisfy the Jews. But you'll notice he says, I find no fault in him. Remember, I told you that they bring him into the city on the day in which they bring in the lambs. This is the day as we celebrate Palm Sunday. It happened to coincide with the day that they would bring the lambs into the household and they would watch that lamb for 10 days just to make sure that it was pure. It was spotless. It was without uh, uh, any defects. And you know what they declare over them? I find no fault in this lamb. He's fit to be sacrificed. Here's Jesus. He had come into the, to the town the Sunday before. And Pilate says, I find no fault in him. But what do they do? They sacrifice him. Isn't this good? And so we see here in chapter 19, verse 3, Hail, King of the Jews. They strike him with his, their hands. Verse 4, I find no fault in him. And so now we have this mockery, this show. in chapter 19, verse 14, now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. Here's your king. Don't he look so kingly? He's wearing a crown. He's wearing a robe. Yeah, I know he's got his own flesh just hanging off like ribbons. Yeah, I know his robe is covered in his own blood. Here's your king. But look at what they say in verse 15. They cried out, away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered and said, We have no king but Caesar. Just the same way they rejected his father, God Almighty. said, We don't want you as our king. Now they reject the son, Jesus Christ. We don't want you as our king. We have no king but Caesar. And so they crucify him. And, and then we see, what do they put on the cross above his head? King of the Jews. King of the, it was all meant to be for fun. It was all meant to be a mockery. But you know what? They were telling the truth, for he is a king. He's just a different kind of king. He's a different kind of king. And, and, and when we see this Jesus, we recognize how did he become king of heaven? How did he become the king of this kingdom? It's a different kind of kingdom. He became king by his own death. His own death. The book of Philippians tells us that it's through his death that he became an authority over all demonic worlds, all the earthly realm, all of the heavenly realm. He became king through his own death. And we become part of his kingdom through ours. Now, I'm not talking about your physical death. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
Amen? Through my salvation, I have turned to Jesus, tired of living my own ragged life, saying, I I I have no king, I'll do what's right in my own eyes. No, finally I recognize, oh, there is a king. His name is Jesus, and I make him my king, and I align with his death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. I'm in alignment with him. I have been crucified with Christ, and so I'll become a part of his kingdom. And let's look at this. Colossians chapter 1. This is so good. We're going to end with this one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Amen. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. There's a kingdom, it's a real kingdom. I'm a citizen of this kingdom. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is a citizen of this kingdom. He's a different kind of king. He's a loving, giving king. And not only does he have the power to bless, but he has the power to transform. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And no other king can do that. No other king can do this, but my Jesus can. Do you know him as your king? Do you know him? Have you made him your king? Or maybe you, you've hung around church quite a bit and you've hung around church people quite a bit. Uh, if you have, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> some people don't want to know the king because they know some of his kids. But I'll tell you, this king is a good king. He's a different kind of king. He don't take your sons and take your daughters. He gives you sons and gives you daughters. He don't take your possessions. He gives you possessions. He don't take you. He he gives you life. He gives you life. He's a giving God and he's a good king. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I've, I've heard a lot about him. I'm sold. I want to make him my king. Well, I want you to make him your king. That nothing would please us more than for you to make Christ your king. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that today you would just begin to convict and convince hearts and minds this morning. Lord, that we would not continue to live as if there is no king, but we would turn to you as Christ our king. That we would give our lives to you, that we would live for you, and that we would say, I want, I want you to be my Lord, my Master. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what you say you do. Convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That those who are continuing to live in their sin, that, that aren't in your salvation, God, that those who continue to live in their sin would be convicted. And of righteousness, those who are in your salvation would be convinced of your righteousness. And of judgment, those who aren't in your salvation would recognize there's a coming judgment. And I want to be a part of that kingdom. Lord, I ask that you right now would just do your work in your salvation work in the hearts of so many right now. 
may have thought they were coming for service, but what they actually came for was salvation. I want to ask that you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Don't be looking around. Just you do a little spiritual inventory right now. Maybe you know a lot about God, but do you know him? Do you know that you know him? Have you made Christ your king? I'm going to ask that if you choose to make today the day, that you make him your king. Just slip your hand up. Say, I want to make Jesus my king today. We had like four in the first service that got saved. Amen. Just slip your hand up. Say, I want to make Jesus my king. I want to get saved today. I want to leave here knowing that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I see hand. Amen. See, here's what happens. What happens when you make Christ your king, Jesus Christ comes and lives within you. That's what the scripture says. And that bold, mighty God that lives within you makes you bold and mighty. Strong and courageous. And then you, you don't have to kind of slink around and sneak around. Yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. No, you become bold as a lion. I'm a Christian. I've surrendered to the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The Bible says if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord with your mouth, you're saved. Believe it your heart, God, in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you're saved. It's so vitally important. If you're here today, I'm going to give you another chance. If you're here today, you say, yes, I want to make Jesus my king. Just lift your hand up right now. Here's what now I want us all to do. Every one of us, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, we're going to pray together, okay? You just repeat after me. I'll make it sweet and short, and you can, you can stick with it, all right? Lord God, I know I'm a sinner. And that Jesus is my Savior. I want to surrender my life to him. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Become king of my heart so that I might live for you. Thank you for this great salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here's what happened. The kingdom just got bigger. Amen. Amen. The kingdom just got bigger. Because there's some in the sanctuary that just confessed Jesus for the first time in their life. They made him the king of their life. This, this, this citizenship just got bigger. Now here's what I need us all to do. Let's stand together. We're going to have a time of invitation. Our prayer team is going to be at the corners of the altar. The altar's wide open. You can come start your Passion Week by once again surrendering and saying, Jesus, you're my king. I'm going to live for you, Lord. You're my king. Maybe you need to come and confess to somebody. I made Jesus my king today. He's a good king. And his people, his true people, they are too. They're good people. And so this morning, whatever God's laid upon your heart, you do business with the Lord. You be responsible to respond to, to the moving of God in your heart this morning. As we worship, the altar is open. You come as we sing.